Well, hello there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tarvalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. Hello, and welcome to our next episode. I'm here with my friend Tracy. I'm here with my friend Amber. And this is The Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast recapping the books, uncovering fan theories, discussing the upcoming TV show on Amazon Prime, and unpacking the many intricacies of this incredible series. Today, we're moving forward with chapters five and six of New Spring. Before we start in on the recap, I want to add a correction to a couple of things from last week. First, I looked up how you actually pronounce Brajer. I think that's how it got said on Google. Brajer. Uh, Brajer. Brajer. Yeah. Uh, which I refer to as medieval heater. Um, and that it is actually that. But I also found <laughs> out that they predate medieval times by quite a bit. And the oldest known Brajer dates back to 824 BC. And I thought that that Hooray, was just kind history. of... history. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a nerd for history. And I like that you kind of joined me on that that adventure into history land. But now we know. Yeah, now we know. Because like we were both like, how do you, how does that, is it said like brazier? Because that's what it looks like. The, the way it's spelled out looks like brazier, but you know that it's wrong because it's not spelled like brazier. But that's what it looks like. Um, and the second thing was that I had said that Galena had beat Tarna to break her bond, but I meant to say block. Uh, Turner was a wilder who couldn't channel unless her eyes were closed, and Galena helped her get past that. I don't know if, okay. like, beating somebody into being able to do something else is helping them. Um, but it also, like, just that approach to it goes back to, like, what we were saying last week with how mm-hmm. the tower treats their initiates. And I don't know. I don't I can understand just the, why. I, just the crap that they have to go through. Yeah. I can definitely see why people would want to run away from the tower early into their training if this is how they get treated. So That would that would probably be me. I would have so many switchings <laughs> and I mean they don't they only kick you out right if you're like really if you're really like not strong in the power, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're not strong enough they could just keep you around oh, long enough so as that a you novice won't... for like 20 years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i am the oldest novice <laughs> what a terrible place yeah it's would be a... awful the more i look at it and the more i see the white tower in that way when i'm reading even now i'm just like man the white tower kind of sucks if it weren't for the fact that it could be deadly to learn to channel on your own like yeah. what there's just there doesn't really seem to be like I don't know but then again like there are women who seem like oh my gosh I could I could be that person I could be that person who could channel and they get all excited about it and I'm like yeah but do you know do you know how they treat them so anyway I just wanted to make those corrections because like I'm kind of picky about things like that and figured it wouldn't hurt to like throw in a correction on my own um yeah 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 I agree. <laughs> so I guess we are um, going to start summing up and recapping the chapters that we read this week, which was mm-hmm. chapter five, The Human Heart. 
Yep. And what was chapter six? Surprises. Oh, yeah, that did have some surprises. <laughs> it did. <laughs> I don't know if they were good or bad, but yeah. Agreed. But. Yeah, we'll chapter five, The Human Heart. Okay, this was a very aptly named chapter. Makes sense why they called it that. Um, but I guess we can just go get go ahead and get started if you're... Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I'm good. So, chapter five, The Human Heart. And this is starting out, obviously, with Moraine and Swan Mm -hmm. after they leave the tower. And they're going to collect the names of the children born outside of the tower because they're searching for the dragon reborn. Mm -hmm. But not everyone else knows that. It's just kind of within the inner circle of Swan and Moraine and... um, to the Amra, the Amralyn, Ta- Tamra, Tamra, Tamara, mm-hmm. <laughs> Tamra, Aspenya, yeah. is that right? Yeah, mm-hmm. the um, Amralyn. So Moraine and Swan arrive at the ground outside of the tower, and it's just cold and really chaotic. Um, there's close to about a hundred women gathered, and it seems to be a mix of both commoners and noble women. So you can kind of see that it's it's just a mixed bag. It's not mm-hmm. really – I don't know if it's what they really expected. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no order whatsoever. The women are shouting and pushing the guards, and Moraine thinks that a riot could start at any minute. Uh, she also kind of thinks to herself that her training as a you know lady mm-hmm. has never prepared her for something like this. So we get this kind of moment of her being unsure – And then, of course, Swan steps in and totally takes the lead. (laughs) She uses a weave to project her voice, and out of nowhere, she kind of just screams, be quiet. And, of course, everyone, the entire camp just shuts the fuck up. (laughs) Like crickets chirping. (laughs) So um, it's absolutely silent. And Swan kind of starts to berate them and tells them they're acting like children and they need to form two orderly lines. Mm-hmm. So as the lines are made, the noble women beca- like they start pushing themselves to the front of the line, which is shady, <laughs> of course. Um, and Maureen also notices that these noble women aren't even carrying their own kids. They have servants carrying their kids mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. So I think it kind of just like it. Uh, it it gives it leaves Maureen with a bad impression I think to start out with so Moraine and Swan begin taking the names and it's you know it's just loud and it's cold and it's boring and it's not anything like what they expected yeah um as Moraine is about to turn away a woman because her child is obviously much too old Swan kind of like lays a hand on Moraine's arm and as she does this Moraine Moraine takes a closer look Mm mm-hmm Um, And the woman is very gaunt and thin, and she's clearly unwell, and Mm -hmm. the child is very sick, too. So Moraine kind of, like, slips her an extra coin Mm -hmm. and tells the woman to take the baby to a healer. And um, the woman, like, kisses Moraine's hand, and um, they they get the idea that these women assume that they are Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. So after, you know, Swan, like, yelling at them and taking the lead, they kind of start to begin to feel, you know, 
that the rumors are going around that they are Aes Sedai, but mm-hmm. they're not. They're just accepted. So they're yeah. kind of trying to keep it like on the low key, like and play it off like they are Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. Um, and after she helps the sick woman and their and her sick child, the word starts to spread around the camp. And more and more women enter the line with children who are way too old. But mm-hmm. they just are claiming like, oh, my child's sick too. Like, please, like poor little Donald can't, you know, ride a bike. He's got a gimp leg. <laughs> and um, Moraine is just, she's thinking how entitled these women are. And obviously some of them are nobles. So they, mm-hmm. they don't need the coin whatsoever. But they're just, you know, coming, com- getting in line and taking the places of these women that actually really need help. Mm-hmm. And she starts to uh, think to herself um, something about these Morandian women. Mm-hmm. And it's not really, it's almost kind of like she might have a prejudice against them. And it's just because after seeing how all of these women are acting, she's like, oh, these Mirandians are just acting like jerks and mm-hmm. pushing, you know, the poor women around and pushing to the front of the line and trying to, like, swindle them for coin mm-hmm. when their kids aren't sick and taking away, like, money from the people that actually need help. Yeah. So um, after, you know, these women are trying to, like, scam her, she tells them, like, oh, yeah, I can heal your kid. Mm-hmm. But it could probably kill them. Mm-hmm. And then she, like, goes to lay a hand on this kid. And the woman, like, <laughs> jerks back and pulls the kid away. And she deals with that pretty well. Yeah. Um, even the guards are kind of, like, thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> and Swan, too, is like, you go. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. Good work. So as the sun reaches its, you know, midday point, they go to eat lunch together and they're um, having kind of a little quiet moment. And as they're eating, they realize that there's just still way too many women waiting in line. And mm-hmm. it's kind of just this daunting feeling. And then next, as they're eating, two Aes Sedai show up on horseback and uh, Looking very uh, regal and Aes Sedai-like, which kind of sucks for them because they're trying to play off like they're Aes Sedai. So when two real Aes Sedai show up, they're kind of like, oh, shit. Yep. Now they're going to know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the two Aes Sedai that show up is Mylan Arganya. Mm-hmm. And she's one of the strongest and most respected women in the tower. She's pretty much a badass and... She's pretty high up, like, on the totem pole of, mm-hmm. you know, the Aes Sedai's. And the other woman that shows up is Elida. Fucking dun, Elida. Dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That and, woman. Yeah. And what's funny is Moraine is thinking how ridiculous Elida is dressed. Mm-hmm. I think she says, like, her... Um, I don't know, part of her clothes, like the color was so ridiculous. She's like, she looks like not even a tinker or someone would wear yeah. something like this. Yeah. And she's just like, God, Elida, you're tacky. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so uh, they're finishing up and the guards tell them it's time to get back to work and taking the names. And it kind of becomes apparent to them that they're not going to be able to find the Dragon Reborn. It's mm-hmm. just daunting. 
and most likely everyone in the back of their minds knows the prophecy of the dragon reborn. Mm -hmm. So even if someone did have a child like on like, what is it? This, the steps of dragon mount or the like, they wouldn't tell them that's where the baby was born because Mm -hmm. nobody, you know, nobody wants to like have their kid be thought to like be a part of this prophecy. And it would just, you know, kind of a terrible thing and they're scared to do it so they just realize it's it's not going to happen and mm-hmm. it's probably not going to be them that find it find him so the sun starts to set and the guards are telling them it's time to leave because they're supposed to be back at the tower before dark mm-hmm. um the women in line like overhear this and they start getting pissed um They surround the guards and then some of the men in the camp start pulling out like knives and other weapons. Mm -hmm. So once again, it looks like it's going to be a riot at any minute. So Moraine and Swan are kind of like, all right, like we're going to do this. You guys like we've got like a little bit of time. So then as soon as this happens and they tell them, okay, we'll do it, but you got to hurry. Then these women start cooperating really Mm -hmm. quick and giving the names really quick and they're just trying to get things done as fast as possible. And then, you know, they, they go ahead and they leave and they are back off to the tower. Mm-hmm. And as Moraine and Swan leave the camp, um, <laughs> Swan's <laughs> on her horse and they're <laughs> trying to hurry. And Swan is just bouncing around so violently on her horse that she has to have two of the guards on both like, sides of her <laughs> <laughs> to make sure she doesn't topple off. Which is like, like, oh god! They were trotting, right? Like they would walk the horses for a little while and then trot and then the go to like a, a canter or something. Yeah. yeah, they would go slow and then fast and then slow and then fast. <laughs> and poor Swan is just like bobbling around. Um, so this this will be a reoccurring theme. I swear, like this is gonna happen <laughs> many mm-hmm. times. Yep. But as they get back, they realize that they are the last to arrive at the tower. Um, and after they get back in and, you know, everything's kind of, they're settling back into their rooms, um, Morena summoned to the mistress of novices, which is Marine Redhill. And what's really, really cute is Swan thinks that she's going to be in trouble, that Moraine's going to be in trouble. So Swan offers to go with her because she doesn't, you know, she wants to be there for moral support. So that's like so sweet. But Moraine is like, no, I got this and goes alone. And as she gets there, um, she's told the news that King Laman Damadrid was killed. And he was killed in battle with his two brothers. So these would be the uncles of Moraine? Okay. The uncles. And Maureen, the mistress of novices, is really surprised that surprised that Moraine isn't upset or crying or, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like freaking out. And so she just assumes that Moraine is in shock. Mm-hmm. But in reality, Moraine really kind of hated her uncles. They yeah. were not good people. So she's just kind of shrugging it off like, well, okay, they're dead. The world Which is better can- off without them. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it leaves kind of this like awkward ending between her and M- Marine. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and when she goes back to her room, this is another like aw moment mm-hmm. because she notices that Swan had lit her lamps for her. So when she arrives, it's not she's not in the dark. And didn't she and, like light her fire for her too, so that it would be yeah. like warm when she got in there? Mm-hmm. So sweet. Yeah. Oh, I love Swan. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, Moiraine is feeling pretty guilty by the fact that she's not upset by the death of her uncles. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of just laying in bed trying to, you know, process her feelings. And she eventually does fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And she's basically um, – she, she basically has a really terrible nightmare that wakes her up. Mm-hmm. And the quote is actually, um, I'll read this here. So this is her nightmare. Lightning flashed in the pitch black sky and his wails were the thunder. Dreams of a faceless young man. There were lightning in those dreams too. But he called this lightning from the sky and cities burned. Nations burned. The dragon was reborn. Mm. Yeah. So Moiraine wakes up like crying and she doesn't want to sleep alone. So she sneaks into Swan's bedroom and like cuddles up in bed with her. Mm -hmm. And it turns out Swan was awake as well because she had a similar nightmare. Yeah. So they're both kind of just laying in bed together, um, not able to sleep at all. And they decide... Between the two of them, this is the point where they, like, hammer out a plan, kind of. And they're like, okay, the Dragon Reborn needs to be protected at all costs. And he needs to be brought to the tower. And so, like, that's the final moment that we get. And that's kind of, like, where they're, um, <laughs> they're kind of, like, conspiring together to get this shit done. Mm-hmm. So... That's yeah. how the chapter ends. Mm-hmm. It was a good chapter. I actually really liked that one. There was a lot of there was a lot more action, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, we've talked about this before, how like these chapters are very much like the lead up chapters to what is going mm. to happen. Um, there's just a lot of foreshadowing in these chapters as well that like we've talked about more in like the spoiler section and stuff too. But um yeah, I liked this one. I really liked the relationship between Moraine and Swan and how Moraine is always willing to kind of follow Swan's lead and how often Swan, even though she's the fisherman's daughter and Moraine is niece of the a king. Noble, yeah, the noble yeah, lady. Like Swan still takes the lead and Moraine is like, you know what? It makes sense this. to me. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just going to let you do that. I'm going to hang out and watch you and there's just so much uncertainty around the way that Moraine behaves like there's so much self-doubt in her that mm-hmm. like you just never you never see later on and I think mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful we did start with New Spring is it just gives so much more on her as a character than we're ever given in the later books like she always yeah because holds she herself up above everybody her emotionless you know mm-hmm her facade kind of causes problems down the line. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, this I, I kind of feel like this goes into what we talked about last week 
um, where, you know, the white tower politics and training maybe sometimes isn't what it's, you know, cracked up to be. Yeah. And that <laughs> they're it, kind of shooting themselves in the foot here. So yep. With some of their, you know. Yeah. Their, their behaviors and the things that yeah. they take on. Um, so then chapter six is surprises. Um, Moraine and Swan are woken the next morning by a novice. And what I thought was interesting about this novice is that it's known that she's going to soon be put out of the tower. And, um, like she's just there long enough until her training has her safe enough to leave. Um, is she a noble woman or no, no, she's just, she's just one of the novices. I think it's. Let me see here. Satsuko. Um, but like in the book, it says Satsuko had talked openly of running away until a visit to Marine study taught her discretion, if not wisdom. Bitter as the knowledge must be, she could never reach the shawl, but she must be kept until the sisters were certain she could channel without harming herself or others. Okay, um, so she was just really low in the power, but they still wanted to make sure that she was taught properly yeah. to avoid any situations so the fact that she knew that that was coming feels i mean i guess it's probably better to know before you're kicked out but like it just it almost feels kind of mean to be like well you still have to be a novice (laughs) yeah and i mean she's obviously still having to follow the rules and the hierarchy of the tower because here she is walking around at a super early hour waking up the accepted so the accepted can go back out for another day of name gathering Mm -hmm. Um, but I just, I thought that was, I don't know. I thought that was kind of a neat thing to put in there that she's not going Mm -hmm. to be sticking around. Yeah. It kind of just shows a little bit more background into how the tower works, Mm -hmm. which is nice because if you start out in the series, you know, and don't read New Spring, you're kind of left wondering until later on. Yeah. This does answer a lot of questions. I agree. Um, so the novice is there to let them know that the Amarillan wants all the accepted to be at the West Stable before Third Rise. So I was like, what is Third Rise? Like, what does that translate into as far as time Elevenses. goes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there aren't, I couldn't really find anything that like said it just, all it said on like the wiki wheel of time was that it's a marking of time in the morning used in Tarvalon. So okay. Tarvalon apparently even creates its own timetables, which shouldn't surprise us at all. Um, <laughs> so at this point, we are also introduced to Sheram, who is an accepted with Moraine and Swan. Uh, Swan tells Moraine that Sheram has told her that the Aiel are truly retreating. And Moraine is uncertain that this could be true and inquires about it to Sherim directly, who tells her that she has heard it from three different Aes Sedai and remarks, one sister may be mistaken, but when three tell you something, you may be sure you have the right of it. It's like um, newspaper sources. Like they right. can't run a story unless they've got like three <laughs> legitimate sources. Yeah. And I like that Maureen is like, are you sure? Like just like <laughs> are you grabs, grabs Sherim and is like, is this, is this 100% accurate? Because I, I really need to know. Um, so starting out, Moraine and Swan are really excited at this prospect of leaving the tower again, and they're hoping that perhaps this time they'll get to be closer to the camps that are located mm. by Dragon Mount. That's where the, that's where the dragon is supposed to be. The dragon reborn is supposed to be yes. there. Yeah. Um, and so they hadn't been closer to Dragon Mount the day before, and so they're like, well, maybe this is our chance to get a little closer. 
Um, but as the three accepted are getting ready to leave for their breakfast, um, they're taken by surprise when they see Maureen, the mistress of novices, coming down the gallery in the fading darkness. She's wearing her shawl, which makes the appearance even more unsettling. Okay, so she it it's, has to be something um, like very uh, important related. She's mm-hmm. got her like work clothes on. <laughs> She's got her business face, business outfit yes. on. Um, and a book says, an appearance here by the mistress of novices wearing hers meant someone was in very deep trouble or else being summoned for testing. Um, mm, okay. Yeah. And so at this point, it talks about Sherium and Swans and Moraine, Moraine's reaction to seeing Moraine and like what it could potentially mean for mm-hmm. them. Um, and the... The paragraph, like, has Swan really excited and Sherian really excited and Moraine feeling like a pit of dread in her stomach <laughs> where she's like, I do not feel ready for this at all. And one of her thoughts do is... They think, do they think that they're going to get summoned for the test? Mm-hmm. Or well, that's what, that's what get the in appearance trouble. of her... They, and they don't know. Like, some accepted were like, oh, maybe I did something. And so they go running off. And others, like, kind of stick around hoping that maybe this is their turn to be called for the shawl. Because Moraine and Swan, we know at this point, have been told that they are... Ready. Yeah, they're ready. And that they should be expecting their testing at any time. Um, So there is this possibility that this is the moment that this is going to happen. I think that's something... I'm pretty sure that's something that when Elida shows up on horseback with Mylan, mm-hmm. I think they mention, like, these two are ready mm-hmm. yeah. or something, which is kind of surprising from Elida. But. Right. Elida's interest in Swan and Moraine in particular, I'm really curious Awkward. about where that comes from. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why those two in particular? Like, I'm just, I'm hoping that we get a little bit more interaction between... Elida and Swan and Moraine to see what has drawn Elida to kind of take this personal interest in these two accepted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Moraine, like upon seeing Moraine, she thinks, Light, every last accepted must think herself more ready than Moraine Domodred did. And I thought that Where that... Moraine, she's so like... She's so she, insecure. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't really that would expect me. that. Me too. I'd be like, I'm not good enough. I can't get this done. Like, I need at least another three Im- years of study. Yeah, like Maybe imposter more. syndrome. Very much. But when I read this, like, I admit I was sitting there going, oh, is this it? Is is this the, are they going to, like, yeah, raise I these see the two? Test. Yeah, yeah. I was, so I was kind of, like, just hoping that that's what it had meant is, like, this is the moment but I was also kind of relieved when it didn't happen because it is still so early in the book and there's still so much kind of unfolding and ready to happen. So, mm-hmm. but it was like just that moment where you're sitting there like, is it now? Is this it? Are they going to do it? <laughs> is this happening? But what happens is Maureen dismisses Sherium um, and then she turns her focus on Moraine, mostly, or on Moraine and Swan, but mostly on Moraine. And she is obviously flustered, which is surprising because this is not normal Moraine behavior. Uh, Maureen tells Moraine that she'll be staying behind in light of the news that Maureen had received the night before. And Maureen is going to be copying names of the lists from other accepted 
that had less neat handwriting than Moraine has. So they just want to use her for her nice cursive. <laughs> yeah, her pretty flowery handwriting. Um, yeah. And Swan is like, ooh, hey, that's that's a really good idea. And Maureen is like, no, it's not. Like, I want to... I want to go get names. Like, I want to find the Dragon Reborn. And so she doesn't understand why Swan thinks this is a great idea. But Maureen is like, well, hey, if you agree with her so much, you can just go copy names with her, too. You have nice handwriting as well. So off you guys go. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they arrive in, in like, this little space that they're going to be writing in. And Maureen is thankful that there is at least a fire laid out for them, which, I mean... If I had a choice between dealing with a bunch of rowdy women and... A bunch of rowdy Mirandians. <laughs> yeah, and the cold and the wet and the blustery wind, like, well, I would... Well, they're essentially doing the same thing, and now they can look at all the names. Exactly. So, like, now they can actually, like, oversee it. Mm-hmm. And Maureen didn't pick up on that right away, but Swan had. And so when... God, Swan is so fast on her feet. Mm-hmm. Like, she thinks so fast on her feet. I agree. Yeah. And so, like, she, like Maureen is like, why Why did you think this was such a good idea? And you can tell, like, in the book, Swan's almost, like, about to be like, man, you're just... You're not you're not too bright, are you, honey? Like <laughs> Get with so, it. Yeah. And so she's like, you do realize this gives us an opportunity to see every name that was written, every location mm-hmm. that's been recorded. Like, we can find the dragon reborn so much more easily if we can see all of the lists and maureen is like oh i'm a dummy good call swan (laughs) (laughs) um swan then remembers that maureen had wanted maureen to do this because she doesn't want maureen brooding but maureen had not told swan about how her uncles had been killed Mm -hmm. and so now she um she tells swan about it and in the process Swan like just pulls Moraine close and hugs her and Moraine says she had never been as close to anyone as she was to Swan or loved anyone as much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so sweet. Like I just yeah. love this part. It's just so tender and sweet like these this relationship between the two of them and I don't know. I wonder if it's something that they like held on to for each other for a long time past being accepted and Aes Sedai and everything. So I don't want to get into that too much right now since we're just doing the chapter recap and not like the, our, our speculations. Mm-hmm. But then Elida shows up. Like she just comes into the room. She's God, wearing another, Elida. right? She's wearing this other gaudy red dress again. And all she does is kind of like loom over them and look at what they're doing. And then like, leaves without saying anything to either one of them she just off she goes if i could make like a side series for this you know i would i would just be like you know giving elida a makeover or something <laughs> you i feel like she's her just wardrobe. like like she just yeah. doesn't know better she's marine she's Mirandian or something um maybe that's the problem so they spend the whole day working on the lists and talking about the names that they have found, but nothing really seems to be a real lead as to who the boy is or where he might be. And the next day, like, no one tells them that they should go back to this room, but they decide that that's what they're going to do anyway. And so they get there, Mm -hmm. and then two clerks show up, and they say that they've been assigned to do this job, and Maureen and Swan are like, well, we're doing this job. And so the clerks both leave 
but not before Maureen has a moment of noticing that the young man has beautiful brown eyes and a lovely smile, which is Maureen a little boy crazy? I feel like she's she, a little boy crazy. Like, she might be. It's, she's, it's she's, kinda cute. Maybe she's just a little bit of a randy goat. <laughs> Perhaps. But I mean, this is... Or maybe this it's like, like all this time that she's spending with Swan and they can't, maybe they can't like actually act on their feelings for each mm-hmm, other. So mm-hmm. she's just like feeling uh, a little overly attracted to mm-hmm. people right now. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. I just think it's really funny that this is like the second time for sure where we've seen her like scoping out like, boys. Hey. Hey. Hey, pretty, <laughs> pretty eyes. How's it going? Um. So the older clerk is not happy with this arrangement. And this kind of, kind of, I just don't understand that. Somehow she gets the Amerlin involved, which, what? I mean, How? is that what happens? The clerk has an issue and they automatically go to the top person in the tower? Like, why, why did that happen? And so, like, the other thing that I was thinking about that is, like, maybe the proper chain of command would normally be that the clerks would go to the keeper. Um, mm-hmm. But the keeper is dead. So perhaps okay. that's why the Amarillan got involved. But I don't – it was just kind of weird to me. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they would have enough, like, authority to be, like, right? we're just going to go straight to her. Can you come get involved with this? Yeah, it was bizarre to me. Um, but Tamara enters the little room. Maureen jumps up and manages to get ink from her pen on her white dress. Um, and after a bit of discussion, Tamara says that they can continue their work. And then without telling her, but Maureen saying she did tell her, Tamara also says – Maureen can use the power to remove the stain from her dress. So, like, hint, hint, wink, wink. Yeah. And Swan is like, she didn't say that. Maureen is like, sometimes you have to listen to what's not being said as much as what's being said. This is where Maureen's, um, what is it called? Like, the game of houses comes in. Yeah, yes. You know what I mean? Like, kind of being able to hear what the, uh, what's what's in parentheses. Yes, yeah. And then what I thought was really kind of sweet about this moment is that after Maureen uses the power to lift the ink out of her dress, it forms like this little like fleck of dry ink. And she decides to keep it as a memento, as a reminder that Swan had been correct. There were times when the rules could be broken. Which is another just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like just these little things that like young women would do. And I just I, I really like it. And for me... The super highlight of this chapter is that throughout the second day, Moraine is receiving visitors. And at some point, I think it's said that she is visited by at least one sitter of every Aja throughout the day. And so, like, the first is this is Jarna Malari, and she's a gray sister and also a sitter for the gray Aja. And she inquires as to how Maureen is doing concerning the death of her uncles and then asks, asks her who she thinks the next ruler of Kyrene will be. And Maureen says that she hasn't really given it much thought, but Jarna and then a sister from every other Aja basically asks her the same question and implicates that Maureen could possibly take the throne herself. These damn Aes Sedai are up to their shenanigans once again. They are. Um, and I have, like, at the end of the chapter, so one of the Aes Sedai says, have you never thought of being queen of Kyrene yourself? 
And it also says no Aes Sedai had been a queen in over a thousand years, and even before that, the few who admitted it openly had feared badly. And Moraine says, only by fleeing the tower, as soon as she did gain the shawl and staying away until matters resolved themselves in Kyrene, she spent most of that sleepless night praying to be tested soon, even tomorrow would not be too soon. Light, she was not ready, but she had to escape somehow. So, so she went from being super apprehensive to like, I need to get this done so I can get out. Yeah, because she's really feeling the pressure of all of these these sitters of the tower coming in and being like, well, how would you feel about being queen? And Moraine is like, I don't, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not something that I want for myself. And it doesn't, like for the women who have been queens as well as Aes Sedai it just it It doesn't doesn't go turn out yeah well you're just like a you're just like a puppet ruler I mean as long as you have to listen to the Amarlin and you're an Aes Sedai like how much power do you really have over your own nation Mm -hmm. it's like people having like a weirdness with being Catholic and also having political positions while people mm. feel like they have like they answer to the pope as the higher right, power right and so right. it's very it's very similar in that mm-hmm. would people see themselves as being ruled by their queen or being ruled by, by the, the church yeah yeah. yeah yeah either way it's, it's kind really, of the same yeah thing. that's a really good comparison so i just i thought that was really interesting and in how now we have moraine who's just like ready to get the fuck out of there mm-hmm. she's done yeah she she wants to go so yeah that was that was chapter six Woo! <laughs> Woo! chapter six is done yeah that ends on a lot of like uncertainties and you know you you feel bad for moraine because she i i would i wouldn't know what i could do in that situation but mm-hmm. try to run away like yeah because even when they, even when she becomes an Aes Sedai, she will be relatively low on the totem pole still. Like mm-hmm. her, the level of power that she can control will definitely put her above some sisters. Mm-hmm. But as far as like this all coming from sitters, they are like at the top. Yeah. And so you basically have to do whatever these women ask you to do. Right. And the fact that she's still unaccepted and mm-hmm. hasn't doesn't actually have the shawl yet, all of these women coming to her, it, it's not really like a question. It's like an order. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's an order phrased as a question. Yep. You know, yeah. she kind of has to like go along with what these women say out of maybe fear of punishment. So, mm-hmm. I mean... What can she do besides just get out of there? Yeah. So, like, I, I'm really like, what will happen next? Where is she going to go? Like, how soon is her testing coming? Because mm-hmm. we know that this is the book where we're going to be getting her tested for the shawl, her and Swan both. Because if I remember correctly, they get tested on the same day. So we're, like, hopefully just a few chapters away from that actually happening. But we're also still left in a place where they've only gathered maybe less than 20 names at this point of people who could potentially be this the dragon reborn that they're looking Mm -hmm. for so they're still kind of looking for that direction from that as well um yeah Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of leaving her in a very like precarious situation it Mm -hmm. it is kind of like a cliffhanger almost yeah but she doesn't really have the authority to say no Mm -hmm. so yeah 
And so, like, the only way that she's going to get out is if she becomes a full sister and then she has the ability to leave when she wants to. Yeah, she Um, needs that agency, which she doesn't have right now. Exactly. Like, it's big-time bad news bears. And that might be why, you know, the accepted are so, you know, um, why they're so close to their friends, whether it be just their close relationships or actually be, like, pillow friends, like what we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. Because it's a very, like, oppressive, you know... Mm -hmm structure in the tower and they really you know they they can't say no really yep. so like they have to you know make these bonds so they probably don't you know become so overwhelmed it's it's a hard life it is it's, it's a sounds- hard knock life <laughs> <laughs> so we had a message left for us from our buddy robert in australia thank you robert thank you and it did bring up a really great point and he had a really great question so we'll go ahead and play that now hello uh question tangentially related to your talk of pillow friends from the last episode uh showrunner for the tv adaption rafe judkins said in a twitter q a that it was going to be changes to the Ran, Min, Elaine, Avienda relationship, then followed up by saying he was much more interested in polyamory than polygamy. I took this to mean that uh, Ran would still love all three and they would love him back, but they might have love interests outside of him. Uh, do you agree with my interpretation? Uh, would you be okay with this change? If so, who do you think Min, Elaine, or Avienda would get with? On my first read, I thought Avienda and Elaine were going to end up a couple, so that would be how I would change it. Uh, thanks for another great episode. And we're back. <laughs> um, so, yeah, go go ahead. How do you? What do you think about um, polyamory versus polygamy being shown in the show a little bit differently than how we see things go in the books? I think it's a really. How do I want to phrase this? I feel like it's a really prescient thing to bring into the show. Um, like, I know for me personally, I have had several friends have polyamorous relationships. And so I've learned a lot more about what that is and how it looks uh, versus what we think of as a, a polygamous relationship where it's basically mm-hmm. like the there's one person who's at the center and like in this case it would be Rand and then he has Elaine Min and Avienda and like those three would have a relationship with just him but in a polyamorous relationship they would all be able... The relationship is between everyone. Yeah and they would also be able to explore outside of their little group of four if they wanted to and Robert says in his clip that he felt as though... Elaine and Avienda could have, mm-hmm. like, a relationship with each other. And I almost, I I mean, during the ceremony of them becoming first sisters, mm-hmm. um, the way that that's played out, it feels very, um, it, it's really interesting because it's almost like they're, like, being reborn together. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't it doesn't necessarily have like a feel of something sexual mm-hmm. but they i think they are naked 
And to me, that was kind of like more of like a like being reborn, you know, not something sexual. But as things go on within the books, I do think that they have a very strong love for each other that could be that is more than just friends. Mm -hmm. But what I think would be interesting is, I mean, when, when you're making a TV show, I don't think that they're making the TV show just for wheel of like hardcore wheel of time fans. Yeah. Like they want to bring in people from, you know, outside of our like bubble. Mm -hmm. So I think like maybe we will see that. I mean, it's kind of something more that like happened with Game of Thrones where they they brought in like, I mean, obviously in A Song of Ice and Fire, there's a lot of like nudity and, you know, sexual things. But in the show, they kind of used it as a way to make make it kind of stand out a little bit more. Yeah. It's not like just like, oh, like something for nerds. Like mm-hmm. they tried to make it more accessible mm-hmm. and make it kind of sexy. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that could really work. Um, I, I can see people like disagreeing with it and being like, no, it has to be like the books. And, mm-hmm. like, it needs to stay pure like a purist uh but yeah I I think that could work I really Mm -hmm. do I think they could make it you know a little bit more open I'm open to it definitely Mm -hmm. and I do think that that would create a little bit more um it could it could create more excitement I think for these characters Mm -hmm. because I do feel like Elaine Kind of gets trashed a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, she's totally capable. She's a total capable capable ruler. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like maybe they do want to like make things a little bit more sexy and, you know, uh, well, like R rated. Yeah. And maybe a little less Rand centric. Like, yeah, yeah. The fact that they're all three focused on Rand just keeps him at the center of everything, which, I mean... He is, in, in a way, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they all have their own lives and they all have their own different challenges. Mm-hmm. And who's there for Elaine and Avienza when they, you know, when they're struggling with something? They're yeah. always relying on each other. So mm-hmm. I think their relationship is so important. yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's a really good direction to take. I think, I mean, part of me feels as though this would be helpful, important, appealing to mm-hmm. like feminists, even because instead of like the women just being focused on a man, they can be focused on taking yeah. care of themselves and building like a sisterly bond with each other, but also the potential for more intimate bonds to be created as well. So, I mean, if they also open up to the idea of it being a polyamorous uh, relationship, then if Elaine or Avienda or Min find another man that appeals to them, then they can also, like, Mm -hmm. move in that direction as well. Um, Mm -hmm. As long as it's consensual among all of the partners, you know? So it would be interesting. I really don't... like, I don't know, like, something, sorry, but this, this really, like, oh, this really bothers me is something that I did not enjoy in Game of Thrones is them using, like, rape as a, 
mm-hmm. motivation for female characters to become stronger, yep. I guess. Like yeah. what happened with like Sansa Stark. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, like she was abused so many times, but now she's an empowered woman. Yeah. And it's like, eh, mm. like, I don't know. Like, let's, I don't know. But let's there kind of are. stay away from that. Yeah, but there are cases within, you know, a wheel of time where that does happen. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't necessarily feel like it was done in the same way. Like it was show, like used to show like how fucked up certain groups of mm-hmm. people were. You know, like we've got we've got slavery, we've got, mm-hmm. you know, assault. Yeah. And well, and like it, with more gays in the situation that she finds herself in when she goes to Oh shit. <laughs> it's time for me to take my medicine. It's time. <laughs> Cheers. Um. <laughs> I'll take my medicine with you. <laughs> I actually probably should do that. I haven't done that yet today. Um but Morgase is already a strong capable woman like she's already Mm -hmm. proven herself like she had to fight her way to the rose throne that wasn't something that was just given to her so she's already been through a level of hardship that has tested her and i mean Mm -hmm. her being able to leave um gabriel is that how you say his name yeah the one like and isn't Gabriel he Robin? Slash Robin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, her being able to like fight through his abuse of compulsion on her mm-hmm. already shows that she is mentally strong and capable. Mm-hmm. So, adding and something, we see, and we see too, like compulsion mm-hmm. and um, bonding without consent. We already have these situations that are. Comp- Terrible mm-hmm. to something as bad as rape. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't want to go too much into it because it's a touchy su- subject. And yeah, it's, yeah. But yeah, I think, um, like you said, that this bond between women could be used in a really empowering mm-hmm. way. And I, I, I would like that. I yeah, mean, I I would have nothing against that. Mm-mm, me neither. It would be nice to, and I th- and not that the the Wheel of Time series necessarily like puts women in a lesser than position or like in a inferior mm. position of any way, because I really do think so often the um, the women are very empowered in yes. this series. And yes, that's one of the things that draw that drew me in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is you're not just always kind of like waiting for the woman to be saved by someone else and the the damsel in distress <laughs> yeah and i mean like i'm going through lord of chaos as we mentioned last week and i just got to the part where uh matt shows up at uh saladar and he's oh, like God. and he gets all like Egwene, what the hell do you think you're doing pretending you're Amarillin? Like, whoever the actual Amarillin is is going to come in here and kick your ass, and you need to get out of here, and I'm here to save you, and Elaine, I'm taking you back to Rance so that you can get back on the Rose Throne and do your mm-hmm. thing, and Nynaeve, I'll take you out of here, too, if you need it. Like, And they're all like, we don't need you to do this, and actually, I am the Amarillin. And Elaine will go become Queen of Andor when she fucking feels like it. So And then Nynaeve kicks him in the ass. Right? <laughs> kicks him in the ass. Like, hard enough to send him across the room. 
Fucking A. I love she that She Bruce part. Lee's him, like, out the door. <laughs> Take that. She has a very, like, Jackie Chan moment. Mm-hmm. Poor Matt, though. He's just, he's, he's just trying his best, he's man. He's just trying to do what he's supposed to be doing. He doesn't want to be in a battle, like... Matt's one of my favorite characters. He just kind of, I don't know, he's just grown on me so much throughout the series that, I mean, and I like how after he leaves, Elaine and Egwene and Nynaeve all have that conversation about how, like, Matt has given his word, and Nynaeve Mm -hmm. is like, she's like, yep, that means that he'll do exactly what he says he'll do, and Elaine's kind of confused because she doesn't know Matt well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But to know that at the very center of this kind of, like, ornery individual is this very loyal and forthright person is so nice to see and someone who gets kind of crapped on a little bit so I really like Matt a lot yeah I think I I tend to I'm I tend to love the most loyal of the characters Mm -hmm. and I think that's something uh like Nynaeve um just as an example, when they – it's Nynaeve, Rand. I don't remember who else is with them. When they go to Tuan to make an alliance, kind of. Um, I don't remember which book this was in. It's in one of the later books, though, right? Like either yeah. 13 or 14? Yeah. Um, and Tuan is like, well, what about, you know, like, Matram Cawthon mm-hmm. and she she kind of like says something like disrespectful about him and Nynaeve is like listen here you little hussy like <laughs> he is an honorable man and like I will backhand you I don't care if you're the daughter of the nine moons mm-hmm. like don't you ever say that about him right like, yes that's yes. my girl <laughs> I need to look up where we are at Oh, and we also didn't say, like, hey, we're at the end of the recap and yeah. spoilers are coming. <laughs> <laughs> what? Here I mean, be spoilers. <laughs> here, here be spoilers. Um, nah. Nah. They'll figure it out. Um, I think we did kind of say that we were wrapped up for the other chapters. I just don't think that we were, like, this next part is going to be kind of spoiler heavy. But the next part in particular will be, because, like, this is where we are going to dig into the spoilers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, do we want to talk about the heart leaf before, or should we save yeah. that for another episode? We can go into it, um, because it's pretty straightforward. I mean, last week we were talking about contraceptive. <laughs> <laughs> How do we get here? How do we get here? I don't yeah, remember. contraceptive and the wheel of time. Yeah. But it's a thing. Mm-hmm. It's something called heart leaf mm-hmm. and they make it into a tea and it's, you know, it's the birth control of this universe. And this was one of those things where um Robert let us here again. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> If you if you ever want to help us and like consult with us and stuff, we're absolutely game do we for need, that. Do we need an episode with Robert? Is like maybe our, we do. Oh, what's the time difference like in Australia right now? I've, I don't know. Ugh. That would be crazy because you and I are already. Six we're working hours on apart. a lot of. We're working yeah. on a lot of time zones. <laughs> um, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe um, we can make it work. 
So one of the things, like, so in the Wiki Wheel of Time, it talks about how men and an Avienda. Yeah, this is when right after their bond, when uh, this is right after Elaine and Avienda have their first sisters thing, and then Rand shows up in the castle, and Elaine is like, "Hey, boy," like <laughs> you know, <laughs> and. Uh, Elaine and Rand like run off to go do their thing. Uh-huh. And that's one way of putting poor, it. Yeah, poor men <laughs> and poor men and Avienda and Brigida can mm-hmm. all feel through the bonds what's going on. And this is probably my favorite Brigida moment where she's like, it's time for some Usquai. Yeah. Let's, I can't deal with this. Let's go get Roaring Drunk and uh, <laughs> yeah. just pretend like that part of our brain doesn't exist right now. Yeah. And Min mentions um, the the heart leaf. Mm-hmm. And, but Elaine doesn't want to take it because Elaine wants to have Rand's yeah. children. And mm-hmm. so I think it's just Min and Avienda that like are trying to avoid becoming pregnant right now. But Elaine is like, I'm I'm sorry, ladies, I want babies. And so yeah. thus be get- Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um But in this the one of the things that I really like about the the Wiki Wheel of Time page is that a lot of times it'll pull in like parallels from history or from like the the world that we live in. Um, and the part that I thought was most interesting in this was it says it is possible that the heartleaf tea mentioned in the Wheel of Time is a reference to a now extinct plant known as uh, Slithium or Laserwort, a variety of giant fennel that was once used in the city of Cyrene on Africa's northern tip. Among other usages, the plant was most prized for the pregnancy-preventing properties in the heart-shaped fruit. So, again, history and Robert Jordan finding Yay, things history. out. Like, yeah, like for him to like pull stuff in like that, I really, I really like that. And I'm, I feel like, I feel like medieval periods, they definitely had like teas and things that could bring about like an abortion, as well mm-hmm. as preventing pregnancies so i mean not that we need to get into medieval conception prevention <laughs> but that it's there if it's you want to look, look it up on your own it's there yeah, it exists <laughs> um so i like that that kind of stuff like gets pulled into the the series quite a bit so we covered heartleaf and we have our we had our clip from robert um and now i think we're into like our heavy duty spoiler section Spoiler section yeah um we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go again with the Black Aja because they're fucking everywhere. They are everywhere. Um, yeah. And I think we kind of like touched on this. I can't remember if it was before we started recording or not, but um, I feel like the fact that they show up so often just kind mm. of indicates how much the like the dark friends infiltrate everything about this world like i feel like we're constantly kind of tripping over black aja and like yeah this was one of the things that i realized when i'm about halfway through this series i think it it was it actually was lord of chaos when i got this feeling of every new character that's introduced in lord of chaos i'm like i bet they're a dark friend that's a dark friend definitely well there are so many reveals of dark friends in Lord of Chaos, like, I think within the last two chapters, 
or so Delena Sedai, you find out is a dark friend as Halima shows up and fucking Halima. Right? Asengar? Is that is that who she is? Because uh, there's the one that starts with an O and there's Halima's the the he- the one that's making the the headaches, right? For Gwen. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she she's Okay, yeah, te- technically she's a dark friend. <laughs> yeah, well, she's the reincarnation of uh, one of the early Forsaken taken out in yeah. book one. I don't remember. It's either Bethamal or Aganor, but I don't remember which is which because, good lord, the Forsaken get confusing. That's, okay, FYI, that's our episode next week. We are doing yep. a spoiler-free Forsaken for Dummies episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. So I know I that's need it. That's going to be a good one. Yeah. I'm I'm actually really looking forward to it because I feel like we get so many little snippets of like what their background is, but they're, it's like pulling I it all together. Confu- I still confuse them. I still Same. confuse them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to doing that. I think it's going to be really fun. But the first Black Aja that shows up is Sherium. Like this is the first place in New Spring where we meet Sherium. And at this time, she's an accepted, but later on, she's going to be the Mistress of Novices, which is interesting because the current Mistress of Novices is also Black Aja. Um, Mm -hmm. So how is it that two Mistress of Novices become who they are while also being Black Aja? Like, that just seems so... The tower is infiltrated. Big time! Big time. I was seriously just surprised when I put that those two things together. And I really liked Shiriam until I found out that she was Black Aja, and then I was really sad. Womp womp. Yeah. Yeah, but it happens with so many people. I mean, yep. this is going to be one of those things for, like, I mean, for me, like, yeah, I guess I, I am technically, like, a new reader, but it's just one of those things where you're, you can't trust anyone, even people that you think are, like, awesome turn out to be dark friends yeah and like with uh with sherium like she she just did it because she wanted to gain more power and we talked about that last week too how Mm -hmm. i think we talked about that with um leanderin that like of Mm -hmm. course she became black aja she wanted to be powerful and she can she can only reach so high inside the white tower and yeah. it seems as though Sherium had the exact same thing happen where she was like, I'm going to pledge my soul to the Dark One, and then that way I'm going to gain power through that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but she never really expected that the last battle was going to happen in her lifetime, that she was going to be called out hardcore to actually live up to the vows that she had made. And I mean, she suffers I think that- big time. Yeah. Like, as she, because Halima, is it Halima that comes after her or is it Masana? I think it's Masana. Like, Masana is like, I want all of the dream Terangriel. Like, I don't want the Aes Sedai to be able to get into Teleron Riyadh any longer. And because Sherium couldn't find one of the dream Terangriel, mm-hmm. Masana cuts off one of her fingers. Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell? I'm sure Shirim was. Not, yeah, I'm sure Shirim was not expecting that. And then of no. course, like when Egwene goes on her purge of the Black Aja, mm-hmm. Shirim is one of the ones that's also beheaded at the time. So, and I, I can only imagine how that made Egwene feel because she had Shirim as her keeper. And even though like 
Aguin was kind of playing Sherium and what is it? Mm-hmm. Romanda and Lelaine against each other in the hall. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. even though she was doing those things, she still felt like she could trust Sherium. And then she finds out that she can't. And so then, of course, who can she trust? I think that is one of the, I think this is one of the, um, whew, this is one of the moments for Egwene that changes her. I, I would say that there's two like major things that happen to her. One is being captured by the Shan Chan, and then two, realizing that she's been basically manipulated and used by the Black Aja. She was raised to Amarlin basically because of the Black Aja, because they thought that they could control her because she's just a child. So mm-hmm. I, I think her, she kind of ends up in a situation where. I think a lot of people could perceive it as being like power hungry almost. But I think at the same time with her being captured by the Shan Chen and being, you know, manipulated by the Black Aja, she's just trying to she's tr- she's trying to have, <laughs> trying to have that power for herself, you know, she's been completely, you know, taken advantage of, taken advantage of and abused. So I could see how that would really change someone. And even as strong as she is, like knowing that all of these people that you thought were like faithful supporters were, you know, basically working for the dark one. And she's just like, fuck, man, fuck. Yeah, very much so. So I think we do get a little bit of a personality change there in the end because of that. Then she's just like, I ain't taking no shit no more. <laughs> yeah. And I really think that she was kind of on that path as well when she was leaving from the wise ones in the waste. Like, mm-hmm. where she says that her heart would always be Aiel. And, mm-hmm. right, I cry. Every time I read through that <laughs> section, I just cry at the at what she goes through, at the way that she faces it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's so good. And then for her to, like, arrive in Saladar and they're like you're not in trouble we're making you the Amarillin and she's like what the fuck what? are you ladies thinking <laughs> what I'm like a child you can't have me surprise. do this and, I mean, insert like surprised Pikachu <laughs> like what <laughs> very much so so I just there, Cherium's one of the Black Aja that's mentioned and then the other is actually the Grey Sister who comes in uh, Jarna Malari, she is gray. She's mm. a sitter for the gray Aja, and she is also head of the black Aja. Like, not just any black Aja. How do you get that position? Well, you fight for it. <laughs> right? You throw down. You're like, hey, how's it going? They're just, they're just everywhere. They are. And what I found out is that um, the only person in the black Aja who knows all of the Black Aja sisters is the head of the Black Aja. Okay. So she knows about everyone else who's also part of this. Sworn to the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so we also know that she like she was the per- first person to uh, approach Moraine about possibly becoming queen of Kyrene. And there are some other this things in Jarna, here. This was Jarna, right? Yeah. Yeah. Shit. Um, so... What, they... Ugh. They've just got their hand in everything, mm-hmm. don't they? I mean. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we're going to talk about uh, 
House Domindred as well, and mm-hmm. there's a there's a dark friend in their family as well, which actually kind of makes sense the more I read about that particular house and how awful they are. Um, <laughs> but then the other the other Aes Sedai that caught my attention in this chapter um, that is not Black Aja, surprisingly enough, um, is Rima Galfrey. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason why she jumps out is that she had been yellow Aja. She was one of the first Aes Sedai captured by the Sanchen when they arrived at Falme. Um, and she is completely broken. Uh, she becomes a domine, and they rename her Pura. Um, <gasps> yes, yes, yes. Okay, yep. I remember this. This is when... Um, this is when Morgaze is being held by the. Um, she, I remember this. I I'm pretty sure when Morgaze is being held by the um, children. Oh no, that's this is this is in book two. I mean, Pura might show up again later on, and I don't remember it. That's very possible because in the the is it Shanchen Sanchen Shanchen. They they do show up and they do um, descend on the Fortress of Light. So it's very possible that she's back for that because I know that she comes back later on when like the the Sanchen descend on the Westlands again. Um, but the thing that like really kind of pulls at my heart in this particular instance is in that second book, um, Pura is around Egwin and mm-hmm. she asks Egwene to please remember her name and that she is a sister of the Yellow Aja and has not always been a domine. But by the time they get back to, like, when... What is the it, Westlands? Cor- yeah, like, when they come back, like, she's completely broken and she's totally, like, a domine for real. Like, she had always been one. And it's just kind of heartbreaking to see this, like, really strong woman who held a certain position of power mm-hmm. who could channel when she wanted to, to now have been broken to the point where she accepts basically being a lapdog to the soldam and the um, the nobility, the blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, like, that part always got to me in, in the second book to, like, see that happen. And I felt like it was worth kind of mentioning that, like, this is the this is the first time we see her as far as, like, chronologically mm-hmm. speaking. But it's not the first time we meet her in the series as it was written, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Fuck. Fucking Sean Chen, man. I know. I'm almost you – know- I'm, I'm, I'm getting through um, – I'm getting through the last book and – uh, I don't know how they're going to make peace with them. Matt's there, uh, and he just found out that there's, you know, like mercenaries after Tuan. And I'm like, like I don't care. I I don't like Tuan, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know how they're gonna because Rand makes this, you know, pact with all of the leaders of all the nations and. It only works if the Shanshan are written into this, you know, pact. 
but I don't know how that's gonna go. I'm ready to I'm ready to figure it out though. I'm ready to see because shit is getting crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and then the other thing as far as like things that feel kind of confusing and in need of slightly further explanation, at least in my opinion, is mm-hmm. House Damadred. So yes. Laman Damadred is the king of Kyrian. And he is also the reason why the Aeol have left the Waste, is that um, when the Aeol were seeking a place of safety after the breaking of the world, Mm -hmm. the nation that would become Kyrian were the only people who gave aid to the Aeol. And so in return, they gifted them with a chora cutting uh, that became the tree Avendoraldera. Avendoraldera. There you go. Ooh, that sounds, you said that so much better than I did. Thank you. Um, but Laman decides to cut this tree down. And like, these are legendary trees. Like, as far as they know of, it was the only mm. one like it in the Westlands that they knew of. And I think the only other ones that get mentioned is the one that's in Ruidian and the mm-hmm. one that's in the Blight when, uh, Moraine and the Emmonsfielders find the Eye of the World. It so, has a very, uh, like, feel, like, it feels like something out of, like, our, like, Norse mythology. Like, yeah. Like, it, Yggdrasil or, like, the world tree. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's so much, like, folk folklore around, you know, trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but you can tell this is something that they take very seriously mm-hmm. yep very seriously Laman. yeah big fuck up man big, big fuck, fuck up. up um so he cuts down the tree and he decides that he's going to make a, himself a throne out of it i mean what a dick move <laughs> that's so shitty it's like here we present to you like a cutting of like this one tree that means everything to our society and yeah. you're like mm, i'm gonna turn it into a chair how about it's like how about a crown for me what, that why? is not cool why not cool at all so this becomes known as laman sin or laman's pride and this is why um, they call them tree tree killers right? tree killers mm-hmm. and oath breakers is that the okay. other one that they call them a lot Moraine's father is Laman's brother. And as far as we can tell of, out of this group of brothers, he's the only one who's a semi-decent human being. Like, Moraine really dislikes her uncles intensely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's this Laman's sin or Laman's pride that make the Aiel come over the waste, which puts Rand's mother in position to be giving birth to Rand mm-hmm. on the slopes of Dragon, Dragon Mount. Mm-hmm. Um so and okay, so wait a minute. Tigraine is formerly married to Taryn Gale, who Taryn is Gale, Moraine's half brother, who is Galad's father. Step, or yeah, father. Galad's so, father. So Rand mm-hmm. and Galad are half half brothers. brothers. Yep. Okay. Shit. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah, but that also means that Moraine is aunt. To Galad, Elaine, and Gawain, which which would which would also make Rand and Elaine like third they're or fourth actually cousins not, or something. Maybe because Taryn Gale, so from their great 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 
grandmother, I think. God, I had a I, – after I read some of this, what you wrote, I looked up <laughs> one of the family trees and mm-hmm. I think my head was about to explode because it was like some – a song of ice and fire shenanigans. <laughs> it was yeah. just like so much. Well, <laughs> and so like much. One of one of the sections that I just got done reading in Lord of Chaos is Rand asking one of the noble women who apparently is like steeped mm. in the history of Andor, like if they're all cousins. He's like, well, if everybody's a cousin, like what if they were farmers or merchants? And the woman's like, what? Um, okay, let me wrap my brain around that. And then she's like. Well, like, suppose they wouldn't be considered related at all if they were just farmers and merchants. But, like, considering we're noble-blooded, like, we see each other as cousins. Mm-hmm. And so Rand really just wanted to know this so that he knew he wasn't, like, potentially having sex with his sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so they're clear on that. But there's that. So. Okay. So that would make Moraine Galad's. Aunt? Aunt. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Gowans and Elaine. Because okay. Galad, Gowan, and Elaine all share the same father. Mm-hmm. But Galad's... <laughs> no, wait. Gal- doesn't Elaine and Gowan have a They have a different father? mother. They have a different mother. Yeah, okay. See, yeah. this is why it gets More so gay- confusing. Yeah. Yep. Because then Taryn Gale sticks around after... Tigraine leaves and like all anybody in Andor knows is that she just got up and left and nobody knows what happened to her and we know from the books that she is Shail the woman who like shows up in the waste and becomes a maiden and then marries because, a chief yeah. because, because of- Gitara told her yeah. that she had to do this mm-hmm. so it all like fucking Gitara um, there's like this all of the little intricacies about this that like make it so that this one moment happens the way that it needs yeah. to and how everything is all like interconnected around it is so confusing. It's twisted. Um, you really have to like dig in there to find it, but mm-hmm. yeah. Whew. So they're all kind of like interconnected. Um and I just think that that like family Domadred is really interesting. And like they have like a really bad reputation in Kyrene. Um, I guess it was Moraine's gra- great-grandmother had been queen of Kyrene for a while, and she was so evil in some ways that her name was used to scare young children even after she had died. <laughs> oh, that's awful. So, hooray. And this was Moraine's, this was Moraine's who? Great, great-grandmother. Okay, okay. Yeah, and apparently, the, like, the rulers but after the name, her just kept getting worse But the name is almost scary. Like, think of the name Dama Dread. It has the mm-hmm. word dread in it. It has the name dread in it. Like, yeah. So, I think does that did we kind of like make that clear make that more muddled <laughs> <laughs> okay um yeah moraine's father had three brothers mm-hmm. they were jerks they're they dead jerks. now they're dead <laughs> yep um, moraine is aunt to galad elaine and gowan and, and her half brother married two queens of andor one being Tigraine, who was also then Rand's mother, and then Morgase, who had Gowan and Elaine. But then that means that because Galad and Rand share a mother, they are half brothers. 
Yes. Boom. Cool. Got it. I'm like, <laughs> my eyes are wide and my brain is slightly melted. Um, yeah. Thanks, Robert Jordan. <laughs> uh, so those were the things that I had kind of like pulled from from this one. And then I know you had a couple of things that you pulled from this too. Yeah, just because um, it's, it's what we see when Moraine is out there um, taking the names of these children with mm-hmm. Swan. Um, we get a mention of Murindi because mm-hmm. these women are, they rub her the wrong way. They're kind of being shady and, you know, pushing the poor people to the back of the line like they're on the Titanic or something. And, <laughs> you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're just not being very good people. And um, I don't know if this is maybe a prejudice that Moraine has because of the there's there's been a long standing like border dispute between Andor mm-hmm. and Mirandi. Mm-hmm. So maybe this might be something that kind of like comes from her background, you know. With- and it wouldn't be unusual in the Wheel of Time series because like the people in Tyr hate the people in Kyrian yeah. and yeah. Alieners don't like people in a different place. Mm-hmm. Like everybody seems to be kind of like set against whoever is right, right around them. It's kind of bizarre, yeah. but but she's it's also she, very medieval. Yeah, definitely. And I, oh God, this is I mean, this is even something, Tracy. This where I live right now. This mm-hmm. is something that still goes on. Like if you live in this one little village, like two villages down, you're like, oh God, they're all inbred. They're all assholes. <laughs> and like you'll hear people be like, oh, I don't want to, I don't like that city, you know? And it's, huh. like, it's like, you guys are neighbors. Just chill, you know? Yeah. It's, from an be outsider. Nice to each other. Pers- yeah. From an outsider perspective, you're, it's the same. It's true. But anyways, Mirandi gets brought up by Moraine in the beginning pretty much of chapter five. Mm hmm. And uh, Murindi is a very small nation. They're on the border to Andor, and they do have a lot of disputes. One of the reasons being as they they basically look at themselves as a sovereign nation with their own king or queen, but this um, king or queen doesn't really rule anywhere except for the capital city, which would be Lugard. And so, like, it... <laughs> I, I think maybe they're just not great rulers. Um, you know, like they kind of know what's going on in Lugard because it's the capital, but everywhere else they're just kind of like, yeah, well, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So the the ruling par- power stays mostly within Lugard. Okay. And then Lugard itself is like a really like uh, trade-heavy town. Mm-hmm. And that's mostly where everyone gets their income. So, um, despite it, you know, having like its own like nice little economy, like it is super dangerous to be there. Mm-hmm. If you're a foreigner and you go into Lugard, like you're just gonna get like robbed or you know taken advantage of, swindled, yeah, attacked. <laughs> so, and and they're also just like very stubborn people. Mm-hmm. So I think this is something that Moraine kind of sees in these women in line and she's just like ugh mm-hmm. oh, god these Mirandians <laughs> um, so I think the reason why Mirandi is uh, 
kind of mentioned and why it might be important is um, like what we, what we had talked about earlier when I was going over the chapter, like these women are just kind of being jerks. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the people that we first get introduced to in this chapter is Elida mm-hmm. and she's Mirandian. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting though, because Elida is basically Mirandian nobility. Mm-hmm. She's the youngest daughter from a minor house in Mirandy. So even though maybe in Mirandy that might be like make you a fancy person, if you're anywhere outside of Mirandy, not only is she from a minor house, but she's the youngest daughter of a minor house. Mm-hmm. So that puts her like very low in the chain of things. But you can tell she still kind of has an air about herself where she thinks. She's got a bit of a chip on her shoulder. Yeah. So I think maybe this is kind of like one of those things where we're going to see Elida and Moraine like butting heads throughout this book. Because um, I, I, I mean, of the two, like. Kyrian is a more powerful nation. Definitely. Like, whereas Elida is, like, the youngest daughter of a minor house, Mm -hmm. Maureen is niece to the king King. of Kyrian. So, like, socially speaking, Mm -hmm. Elida should technically be in some sort of deference towards Moray. Yeah. Huh. So oh, I think maybe there there could be like a little like jealousy factor coming from Elida to start out with. Mm-hmm. Um, Do and- we know if Elida or Moraine is more powerful in the one power than the other? I think Elida is pretty powerful. Um, we can look it up really quick. Yeah, because I mean, and that was one of like I got the Wheel of Time companion in the mail this week, and I was really hoping that it would explain how the power levels are figured i do not understand them at all if anyone out there knows how to figure (laughs) out what (laughs) makes one person leveled another and how that's figured out in robert jordan land i'm personally right now either too distracted or too lazy to look it up so if someone just happens to know (laughs) and wants to send it in i would appreciate that so much because I just find myself always a little confused. Okay. And that's okay. Okay, here it is. Elida du Arivni a Rohan. Rohan. Mm-hmm. Um, her strength power is 13, parentheses, one, making her among the most powerful Aes Sedai in the time of the series beginning. Okay. So she is pretty dang powerful. So I think if, I have... if she's 13. Then what's Moraine? She's a thir- 13 parentheses one. Okay, so they're on like the same level. Okay, okay. Which would so just, then, I feel like that would just create even more of a competition between the two. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Maybe that's why Elida fights so hard to become Yeah. Like she's got this chip on her shoulder. She wants to move up in the world. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the way that she behaves around uh, Maureen and Swan, I'm just so confused by it. Like, what is her, what is her deal when it comes to those two women? Like, why is she like looming around them and paying so much attention to them? I'm just mm-hmm. so curious about that. I'm wondering if we're going to get more about it as the series goes on. Because we do, like, we're not as the series, but as the book. Because I don't really, I mean, we find out that 
Elida basically hates Swan and thinks that Swan is like taking the tower down an unsafe path, but God, she just needs to like, she just needs to chill. Like someone tranquilize her. This is something that's awful. (laughs) Like this is awful, but I'm looking at the wheel of time fandom.com page. Mm -hmm. And this is so terrible, but like it has like the stats for Elida and it's like Mm -hmm. nationality, Mirandian, gender, Mm -hmm. female, eye color, dark, occupation, Damani. (laughs) (laughs) Is that an occupation? Slavery? Really? Wheel of Time fandom? (laughs) Maybe it is now. (laughs) Occupation. Slave. Okay. Yeah. Mm. That's a bi- that's a big time spoiler. By the mm-hmm. way. Yeah, no kidding. But how satisfying is it that that's how she ends up? Like as awful as even, it is, I don't even know. I almost I almost don't feel like she deserves it. She's completely batshit. But at mm-hmm. the same time, like, ugh. yeah. Because I mean, it I is just awful. Hate the Sean Chen. I just I despise them. Yeah, I don't blame you. I I've never been a fan. And they just do so many awful things. I agree. I concur. But the other uh, honorable mentions from Mirandi <laughs> from is our, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't call him a favorite, but um, Patton Fane <laughs> is from Mirandi. So that that's another awesome. That guy. Good guy. Good guy Mirandian. And mm-hmm. then also Sharina Malloy. And who's that? She was like super. I think she was the only one to be possibly more powerful than Nynaeve. Oh, okay. And when Nynaeve has her test to be accepted for the to be mm-hmm. accepted, she's actually mentioned as being the healer for Lan and Nynaeve and their family or something like that. Hmm. So like interesting. She, she kind of shows up, but she's Mirandian also. But we don't get a lot on her. But she was really, really old. She was one of the I think she might have been one of the people that was picked up in Solidar. I'm not sure. Interesting. Yeah, I don't remember. She was um yeah, she was picked up in Solidar as a Solidar as a novice. Mm-hmm. Um, she had okay. She had more potential with the one power than Nynaeve, but wasn't mm-hmm. trained, I guess. Hmm. But she's from Salinar as well. But that's, I mean, that's really like the we we only get a handful of people from there. Hmm. Um. And Elida is probably the most well known besides Padden Fane. Hmm. Which he, ha- I don't think he really has any, he doesn't really have much to do with Mirandi. <laughs> He's kind of on his own little mission, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, Andrew is like blowing his way through Eye of the World. And like he keeps coming across like those little crisscrossy places where Pod and Fane shows up. And he's like, what's up with this Pot and Fane character? And I was like, oh. I totally, yeah, I totally didn't. <sighs> when I was first reading Eye of the World, I think I was so confused by so many things that I didn't really pick up on his, like, shady behavior. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he's, uh, 
Wow, that guy. I almost <laughs> feel bad for him. Almost. I okay. So I think um, with our spoilery stuff here, I think we're about done with that, right? Mm-hmm. That the majority of it. I think that's everything that we had for this week, and I don't think there's been any new show announcements or anything. No, um, there's been a little like drought on the show announcements, which mm-hmm. is sad. <laughs> yeah. I'm really eager to see the show, and I'm also just so nervous about it because yeah, like, me there's, too. there's always that possibility that it's going to not do well, regardless it of how many fizzle. people. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also like the possibility of turning off hardcore fans when it comes out that it's not exactly how they pictured it mm-hmm. and so they're gonna be like i don't want to watch this because it's not what it was in my head and you can't I get but it but you can't please but everyone can't. so i just yeah. hope that they like do their own thing and like yeah i'm, I'm yeah. trying to stay like completely neutral on it like i don't want to have high hopes i just am curious i'm extremely curious though yeah i just want to see it happen like, mm-hmm. that's the big thing for me is I just want to see it happen because I've wanted to see it for so long. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think we have any news from the show. We have news kind of, though, because we're doing the Forsaken chapters mm-hmm. next. So Yeah, um, yeah we're going to take a step away from New Spring and do – and we're going to try to do that more often, too, where, like, at least once every four episodes or so, we'll do mm-hmm. a spoiler-free something. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to just do the history of the Forsaken without really talking about too much of what they do in the series without kind of ruining things. Because, but like I think, we've mentioned... Yeah, but I think ahead. hopefully, um, like, just from from how I feel, like, going into the series, I, I confused them all so many times. Mm-hmm. So when I was reading and, you know, they're having, like, their big forsaken meetings and you've got mm-hmm. like three or four of them in the same chapter together i was like who the hell's this guy who's mm-hmm. this woman so and they all have like crazy names so hopefully this will be something for people that you know are <laughs> that are struggling like i did mm-hmm. and hopefully yeah. hopefully it'll be interesting enough for people that have actually already read everything and know a little mm-hmm. bit about them so yeah, we'll see. I'm looking. We'll see. I'm actually really looking forward to it. Like I've I've already got some of the, the Forsaken marked out in my Wheel of Time companion book that I just got. So, and I love research. So this is gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's another good thing too. Like if anyone has you know questions or comments or wants mm-hmm. to leave us a little like voice message on Anchor or an email about mm-hmm. Forsaken related stuff. Theories, um, you know, just whatever, like send us, you know, send them our way. Like we Mm -hmm. love that kind of stuff. So definitely. Yeah. Robert, send us more stuff too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You'll be our special guest star whenever you want to. We will be waiting, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) Really, these recordings are just for him. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So I think that wraps us up for this week, right? It, Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. It does. So that basically wraps it all up today. Thanks so much for joining us on this stretch of the road to Tarvalin. We are so excited to share our love for this series with fans. 
We've been seriously blown away by how many people have listened to our episodes and we are eager to see how far we can grow in this truly amazing community. So thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, We'll be launching shows every week and we hope that you continue to join us. Um, And like we mentioned earlier, next week, Forsaken. So we will we will see you then. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed to our email, row2tarballin at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, Amber. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I can't even say your name today. <laughs> Amber is at row to tarballin and Tracy is at wannabe blue too. We are on Instagram and row to tarballin And if you have the Anchor app, you can leave us a voice message that we can use in upcoming episodes. Um, just let us know in the message if that's something you are comfortable with or not. If you don't want to leave a voice message but still have something you want to contribute, we can read your comments for you. So until next week. Thanks for joining us. Safe travels and, and walk, walk in the, the light. light. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>